Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features Tunji Adeni Jones. Born in London, he is an artist currently living and working in New York City. His work is inspired by the ancient history of West Africa. He received a BFA from the Ruskin School University of Oxford and his MFA from Yale University School of Art. His recent solo exhibitions include Deep Dive at White Cube in Hong Kong, Tranquil Dive, Moran Moran in Mexico City, both in 2023. In 2022, he had a solo exhibition at White Cube in Paris, France, among others. His work has also been included in numerous group exhibitions. Tunji's work is included in permanent collections globally, including the Dallas Museum of Art, the Nasher Museum of Art, ICA Miami, the Studio Museum in Harlem, amongst others. His painting titled Charm, Honor, and Grace from 2021 is featured on the cover of the UBS Art Collection's book titled Reimagining New Perspectives from 2022. Please read his expanded bio at SoRiverWomen.com and enjoy this episode featuring Tunji Adeni Jones. Tunji, welcome to my podcast. I am delighted to finally feature you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being so patient, and I'm really glad to be speaking with you. Thank you. Um, I know we had met earlier this year, and we're both excited to have this conversation. Yes, 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 yes. Let's start talking about when, when did you realize that um, your passion was to be a painter, to be in the visual arts? I think... I was young, maybe 10 or 11, and I was in school. And art was always my favorite subject in school. I had one teacher at the time who noticed that I, you know, was both enjoying what I was doing and and was quite good at it, but I wasn't necessarily paying too close attention on anything I was doing. So she encouraged me to stay after class and do some sort of extracurricular art club thing which at the time was a bit confusing to me because, you know, this is when I learned sort of how to work hard just for working hard's sake or how to really refine a desire and determination to just keep working on something. And so, yeah, pretty early, she invites me to these after-school classes and sort of we would set up still lives and I would draw over and over again and she'd introduce me to artists. And yeah, that's that's where I kind of figured that this was something that I could do that I enjoyed doing and that I wanted to do and that I could kind of motivate myself to do as well. That being the important part, that sense of motivation and, and passion. Yes, that sense of motivation is very important. Was there a particular 
artist or work of art or art form that you were really drawn to early on? Yes. So funnily enough, this teacher, um, her name is Bernadette Lavoie, really wonderful, impactful presence during that time in my life. She introduced me to pop art like really early. So I was looking at Liechtenstein and people like that. And that really blew me away. I think something about the hard lines, the graphic quality, the flatness, figures being represented in this way, expression being represented in this way. And to this day, I think that's some of the most impressionable art that I was exposed to. Um, and I think, you know, maybe when people look at my paintings, they can start to see where pop art would be an influence, if not at the first read. But yeah, it's really there, I think. I developed my graphic quality and, and tendencies from looking at Liechtenstein and, and people like that when I was really young at my teacher's advice. And how would you define your practice? Um, right now, I'm really, really interested in pushing the same formula of color, shape, form, and line that I've been working with over the past few years. And obviously there are figures involved but I'm really thinking about these paintings in an abstract format. So, I, I, so I'm making figurative paintings, but following the rules of abstract painting. So I'm kind of just finding a way to make a figure in space increasingly compelling. So with the same elements, I'm just trying to push and rearrange color combinations, the same palette, but warming it or cooling it slightly into hopefully create, you know, a more dynamic visual experience but still with the elements that are the same and that are, you know, recognizable to me and what I do. So it's, yeah, I'm, tr I'm trying to find an interesting way to show not the same thing over and over again, but I'm trying to hammer home just a few ideas, but with increasing detail and, and variation and intrigue, hopefully. That's what, that's what I think my work, work is about right now. At any point, were you drawn to figurative more than abstraction or vice versa? Yes. So probably before I moved to America, roughly eight years ago, I was really, really heavily influenced by the sort, you know, the, the British kind of mainstay masters, Freud, Bacon, Jenny Savile, Hockney. And it was when I moved here that I really developed a love for yeah, I'd say, you know, like the Lee Krasners and Rothko and Clifford Still, big blocks of color. There are a few artists that really helped me locate where I wanted to sit in between these two histories. And um, yeah, Bob Thompson was one of those artists, I think. When I was introduced to his work, it suddenly kind of clicked like, okay, you can, you can balance both of these things. You can balance dense color, really alluring color, really satisfying color field. And narrative figure painting um in the same space you can basically you know paint people any color that you want i had a very formal and academic art training and education up until this point so really the idea of painting a solid yellow figure or solid orange body was really alien to me until i moved here and started seeing different things obviously if you're coming from a school of looking at lucian freud and, and things like that rendering the body has to be done in such a meticulous painterly and yeah almost academic way that fortunately i was able to start considering alternatives to as i saw different things when do you know when a work is finished um i'm really happy recently 
with the fact that I don't know when a work is finished because for a few years, there was certainly a point where the paintings couldn't take anymore, where I kind of tied a bow on it all and the composition was complete. The colors were all laid down and everything was locked into place in a way, in a way in which after a while did begin to feel a bit restrictive. So now, now I could, you know, quite conceivably stay working on a piece for a year, maybe hopefully two years because of the way in which I'm now thinking about colors and color field space within the work. I can kind of keep pushing things and keep layering things. And ultimately I think the work's done when the deadline hits and the, the painting needs to ship. But I'm really happy with the fact that I've arrived at a place where I can keep working on things for as long as they sort of call me to. I think, you know, we're really fortunate to be able to, to paint and call this a career and a life practice. And so giving each object, each painting, that same kind of lifespan and not trying to rush them is, is a privilege too. I think that's a really great part of doing what I do as well, just enjoying the length at which I can work something. Yeah, it's wonderful. And when, when do the titles of the work enter the creative process? Yeah, again, again, there was a point where I would lead with the titles when I was perhaps trying to not over explain the work, but maybe over explain myself and my particular background, where I'm coming from, what I'm about. And so, you know, say, for example, I would title a painting, The Royal Red Prince, or something like this, to try and comment on both my West African heritage and then my British upbringing, trying to align how royalty appears in both of those histories, right? But I think more recently, it, it can just be as simple as red dive or red figure. And that will come after the process of making the work. So yeah, again, I'm pretty happy to be at a point where sometimes just through the process of making the title can come and I don't have to necessarily yeah, over explain the work before it's happened. I, I think both sort of options are valuable, but I was definitely swinging really far in favor of one over the other before. I think, you know, I, I read a lot of literature and fiction. I read a lot of specifically West African fiction, black American fiction, black British fiction, basically black authors, mostly with the few exceptions of some, some classic Brits. But I take a lot from those titles too, because I think sometimes fiction titles can just be so compelling. And um, yeah, I can pick up a book just off the title. So I bear that in mind as well. And sometimes those can influence either the title for a show or the title for a painting. I asked the question, how do you keep learning? You answered it, I think. <laughs> oh, well, I do have another answer for that, but okay, certainly reading is one, but printmaking also in the past uh, two years, printmaking's really saved me and done, done some wonderful things for my painting and, and my sense of, you know, my sense of intrigue and, and wonder when, when I'm making work, just because the medium is so unpredictable and just uncontainable, you know, the same, in the same way that it's a very mechanical process that you have to control. It's also just so it has a will of its own, the press and whatever comes out is what comes out. It's really rare to get one or two things that are exactly the same. And every little scuff or blemish is a positive mark. There are really no bad prints. I mean, the master printmakers will disagree, of course, but as far as I'm concerned, everything looks wonderful that comes off the press, right? And that's just been a really incredible, fruitful space of development and learning for me over the past few years. I think some of the best work I've made over the past few years have been prints, a few etchings and a few monotypes. I think the collaborative aspect that printmaking offers where you're working with a team and you're learning from people who are in exactly the same, but also slightly 
different aspect of the field that you do. So you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself both to the medium, the press, and then to those who know how far your image can go. They know that it can go a bit further than you might know. And so in working together, you can really push, push some ideas into areas that you never thought you could go to. And, you know, I think that maybe a painter can get there anyway, but I certainly have been getting stuck. Like, like we all do sometimes. And yeah, printmaking is, is great for getting through those blocks. So interesting. So interesting. If you were not a visual artist, what other career path do you think you would have taken? Um, I did, I did a, a number of things when I was in high school, but I never quite applied myself deeply enough to any of them to say that that could have carried me all the way. So for example, I, I played the piano, I played the tuba, I sang a bit. I was quite the young musician, but I don't think I had the requisite sort of fortitude to really dig in deep in the way that I do with my, my aunt now, or even then that would have been required to, to be a full-time musician. You know, I know that as much as the skill, it's also, there's this mental, yeah, this mental aspect to that. I don't think I'd have been able to do both sort of do the artist thing and the musician thing. And I'm really, really, I admire those who can because it's just requires so much focus. So yeah, maybe a musician, maybe not. Maybe, you know, I played some sports too. Maybe, maybe not. I didn't really like intense contact or getting hit too much. So I don't think I could have carried on with that, (laughs) you know? So I think I I just, I I don't really know what else I could have been. I think, yeah. Hey, you know, you are where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I I am where I'm supposed to be. And I, I, I did read a lot. I did, I could have considered a sort of literature field. I don't know what that would have looked like, but it definitely would have been a creative space in, in some capacity. Do you feel black art can be defined? I think black art is an incredibly vast and complex constellation or solar system that never quite stays the same and is constantly expanding. And in that way, is really difficult, if not impossible to define. And I think that that is equally the wonder of it. I think as I grow and develop, as I travel, as I meet artists from here, as I meet artists from Nigeria, elsewhere in West Africa, South Africa, Europe, and sort of understand what black means to each person in each instance, it seems just limitless in a really exciting way. And I think the mission is to push that and move away from perhaps a restriction or a narrowing of what black art can be or an easy, uh, digestible kind of presentation of what it can be. And, you know, representation is important and platforms are important. So it's a line we have to navigate together, but it's, you know, should never be too easy to define, I think, and should be as all inclusive as possible. Do you listen to music while you're working? I do. I love listening to music while I work. It is a nice combination of hip hop, rap, jazz, electronic music, like house music, Afrobeats, a lot of music from Nigeria, British rap music, grime, something that has heavy bass, good rhythm, something that's melodical. I'll, I'll sometimes, you know, sing along and make a lot of noise in the studio while I'm working. I'll dance around as well. There's a nice kind of ritual I have that I'm sure plenty of people have when they're in the studio, you kind of do a, you do your celebratory dance when you finish the body of work or something, you kind of (laughs) (laughs) play those songs and, and do your, your ritual in in honor of the work you've just made to (laughs) give them the send off. That's great. Yeah. Those are the the really sweet 
sweet moment. So what are you excited about right now? I recently got back from an incredibly fulfilling and inspiring trip to Nigeria. I was there for just over a month and I went there looking for a number of things. It was my first time really traveling there by myself and without any kind of purpose, be it for that a wedding funeral or some sort of obligation. I really went there looking to see what I could connect to by way of the local art, the sort of legacy and heritage work. There are a few master artists who I was fortunate to meet. Bruce Onobrabea is one and also some younger contemporary artists as well. And just see where I could maneuver within that space, see where I could learn from within that space. I took a trip up to a sacred ancestral grove about four, four hours outside of Lagos. And that was a profoundly impactful experience. So I'm really excited about that trip. I'm excited to go back. I'm excited to process everything that I saw, felt and experienced. I'm still processing it now. I think that will really be the impetus for a lot of the work I make for the next year, whether overtly or sort of under the surface of things. Yeah, I'm really excited for what that will open up by way of travel around the rest of the West African coast. I already have some things to return to in Dakar, Senegal, and, and equally, I'd love to travel around the rest of the coast. Sounds like a very rich experience. It was, and it's it's really hard to articulate because I don't want to, to lessen it in any way, but it just was really special, you know? And even those moments that I was spending with my family or, you know, I had a had a wedding that I went to and every every aspect of the trip was really meaningful and, and special. I think as as artists, we spend so much time alone in our studios in these kinds of protected, self-imposed as well, bubbles and we're sort of yearning for something and the work gives us things but then sometimes after you've finished a large body of work or you've just exerted quite a lot you need to receive and so i also didn't work on that trip at all i didn't make anything i was trying to be as open and receptive as possible and it, it just it really delivered you know it's like i could just see everything and learn from everything and uh, give back to right it's a it's a two-way flow so that's also why i want to go back so that i can contribute as well as as well as download yeah really exciting it's wonderful it'll be interesting to look back in a few years to see how your your practice has changed absolutely i mean it, it, i i see it as a the beginning of something this trip for example so yes i think this moment could definitely be cited as the beginning of me developing a very a very active relationship with both the history, the artists, the people, my people, you know, both in Nigeria and across the West African coast, in a way in which I've definitely been talking about throughout the whole time, right? This is something that I talk about, but there was just something about me also just spending quite a long time there and now deciding that I want to build that around what I do and how I move that feels progressive for my my practice and my career. Um, it feels like a, an investment, right? And and something that I really want to nurture. It's great that you did that, smart that you did that. When you're working, do you think about who your audience is? I really do. I really do. And that's, that's, that's tied into to what we were just discussing as well, because spending a lot of time making work in England and then also on the East Coast here in New York, yeah, acutely aware of the broad demographic that experiences my work in person on the, on the large part. And so... I feel really happy to and fortunate to have recently had exhibitions in, in Mexico, Mexico City, where, where we bumped into each other. And then also in Hong Kong, I recently had an exhibition. And 
that was really rewarding and fantastic to kind of just get a sense of what a different cultural site makes of my work, makes of me and my work. Because I think that, you know, by my friends that know me will know that I'm a bit of a cultural chameleon when I want to be, you know, my accent shifts depending on where I am. If I'm in New York, it will have more of a twang here. And when I'm in London, I'll speak slightly more locally. So I'd like to think my paintings do the same. Um, I'd like to think that when they're in a different place, they'll be very sensitive to their surroundings and try and be as engaging as possible. So I, yeah, I really liked how my paintings looked in Mexico City. I really liked how they looked in Hong Kong. And I was really happy with the reception that a different audience gave to my work. Um, it's not something that I necessarily let determine, be too determining of how I work, but on the back end when I finish the show and I'm thinking about a broader scope, it, it definitely becomes an important factor, my audience, yeah. Do you think they understand the work? Yes, because ultimately, yeah, it becomes a funny sort of proof of concept because really when I think about it, what I'm trying to do with my paintings is, is quite simple and, and stripped bare. And that's just to incite a feeling, a response, something emotive, using some very simple elements, just color, form and, and line and and a body that's a bit nondescript, you know, a lot of the features are muted. And so in a way, there is a, a certain universality I want the bodies to have. And I do want the work to somehow be a mirror in a way so that people can see something about themselves in it, or at least feel that it's approachable and relatable. And so I think that, yeah, I think that aspect of it becomes quite legible to people in different places, even if they can't directly communicate with me otherwise, right? I think that's the beautiful thing, that the visual can communicate, the colors, the warm reds and oranges can bring out a warmth and a smile, and that's what I'm going for when I'm doing that, that particular work, right? That's the response I'm trying to incite. So it helps with that communication, definitely. And what is the process of choosing the color? I think recently it's been quite self-referential. So for many years, I was pretty tied to a deep violet, deep blue palette. And, you know, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest with myself, it was a combination of both what I wanted to do and what I believed was wanted from me. And so I was navigating that for quite a while and I was learning and, and pushing through the process. But I do think I was restricting myself a bit. And so more recently, my color choice is a, a reaction to that, more or less. So I made a white painting last year, you know, just very pale, very neutral. And I was I was really excited about it, you know, um, a light yellow painting, light oranges, pinks, just to flesh out the story a bit so that when you step back or when you do a broader survey of the paintings that I'm making, you can see how those particular violets and blues have a bit more weight because they're around other colors and, and vice versa. So I'm just trying to add different characters to the, the story. Ultimately, when I'm thinking about colors, I'm thinking about a host of characters in, um, in a story. I've enjoyed this conversation. The next question you can answer in two parts. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? I think the first part, the purpose of art, really a bit like I was mentioning earlier, um, communication. I think that art is a really, really fundamental way in which people can communicate with one another. Sometimes when words are either not enough or more frequently, actually, when words can be too much and when words can over-explain or overcompensate, I think art is a wonderful space to really communicate more fundamentally and more earthly, more bodily, more physically, more emotionally 
and across cultural boundaries, right? Too. So where language can keep you from communicating with someone, everyone around the world will stop by the Louvre and look at the paintings, right? But may not understand the local language. And I think that for people, for humans, yeah, it's a wonderful unifying gift that we have to be able to do that. And yeah, the same is, is with, with song and melody and music and, and dancing and certain practices that, that can just like transcend other barriers that we find with language. So that's what, um, at least to me, I, I see arts function and arts purpose. You know, when I was really young, my mother took me to a lot of museums and at the time I didn't invest much in it or see the point, but you know, I really think that's what she was trying to get me to understand early was that there's really a place for these objects, whether it was like, you know, museums and then also like natural history museums too, just looking at things that I wasn't finding in more conventional, either educational or cultural spaces. And as I grow up and grow older, I really understand the impact that that had on me and still has on me. I think, you know, even at the start of this conversation, I think I forgot to mention it, but if you'd have asked me where it started, I think that's also a place. My mom taking me to museums when I was very young, almost as a an obligation in a way that I was just like, you know, I, I don't want to, I just want to play video games or something, but that was it. And that, that really taught me a lot too about arts powers and its place with all of us. And then my role within that, just to keep learning, I think, to remember that I'm a student, both of the medium, the practice, the career, to keep learning, to keep sharing, to keep interacting with that expansive network. So downloading from the elders above me and, and imparting as much as I can to those that are coming after and sharing in that communal expression. I feel like that's been the role that I've been enjoying. Well, thank you and keep enjoying. <laughs> thank Don't you. Stop. Yeah, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 